Hello everyone, it's your boy Hunt, back with another episode of the Tabletop Recap. Uh, we got our regular co-host Big Boy Chungus here today. For the Horde! Nah. <laughs> uh, and today we have another fun part of our Descent into a Burnus... A Burnus? A Burnus? <laughs> our Baldur's Gate Descent into a Burnus. I just did it again. I can't. Avernus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like a furnace? A burnus. But with a V. A vernus. A burnus. <laughs> I want to be dead. But yeah, so what is this, part 12 or something? Yes, this is session 12. Yeah. I've been doing a better job of keeping track. I remember via podcast number, not <laughs> session number. But uh, yeah, so today they. Uh, this was a rather unique session. Uh, it did That's not. That's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this session took place in two separate areas and ended in a third. Uh, the main in the bulk of the encounter, at least the first half, took place in. Well, first, first, let's quick quick recap of the most previous one, the one before this one. So last very session, quick. very quick. Um, I'll try and do it in five sentences or less. You can keep track. Uh, they made their way down from Avernus. They met Mad Maggie at her fortress, where they met her crew and cronies. They helped Lulu restore some of her memories and gained a clue as to where the uh, Sword of Zariel might be. They then left and had an encounter with a warlord by the name of Ragadraga. They beat him, took his loot, and proceeded to the place known as Harmon Hill. Five sentences. They also got an Infernal War Machine, which is like a Mad Max car. Ah. <laughs> Should have had six. Mad Max car. Still proud of myself. <laughs> Those usually take me like ten minutes to get through. Yeah, the Mad Max car, they loved that because we plopped the Mini on the table that we've been hiding, the Deluxe Mini, and they, they loved it. It was like Christmas. But yeah, before we get into today's story, we actually added a new character. Sort of. He's like half... He's like a DM NPC, basically. But you get to play him. But it's the co-DM playing him. And uh, there are a couple of reasons I'm playing. So at first I was like, I think I'll have a DM NPC uh, specifically because I haven't played in so long. Like, you remember it was six months between the episodes for Karen's campaign. And you you actually haven't played Dungeons & Dragons in about six months. Yeah. And I was like, I gotta play something. I can't just sit here and watch them play anymore and... All the NPCs that I'm running come later, and I haven't been able to run anybody since the Abishai attack, and that was before they were even in hell. You have a lot of NPCs that you've requested to run, but unfortunately they're all part of the same encounter, and they're like late game. Yeah, so I was like, I'll run all the Tiamat stuff, so that way I can kind of keep those NPCs straight, because if I play everyone in the same kind of group, then um, I can remember motivations and stuff better, because they affect each other more directly. And the other thing is, there's there's a chance that they may never may not ever even approach that section. They, True. There's there's a chance that they may never even encounter Archon the Cruel or Tiamat's crew. But then, after I'd already considered it, and we were talking about whether it was a good idea or not, Keocat was like, "I'm probably not gonna be around for a while because she's about to become a doctor because she's a genius." Yeah. This is the <laughs> most. I can only imagine that this is the most stressful period of her current or her academic life right now. So it's totally understandable if she needs to take some time to sort out real world issues. Yeah. So she's like got to finish her thesis and uh, present it and all this stuff to become a doctor. So she has zero time. 
uh, while also like working and doing regular other stuff, regular life stuff. Uh, and so, and but our thing is that we need three players minimum for a session. And D Legend's schedule, not his fault, is very spotty. He plays when he can, but work and real life comes first. And he does a good job about letting us know ahead of time, hey, I'll be available. Hey, I'm not so good. Whichever's available. Uh, and this week happened to be a week where Kyoka and D-Legend were not going to be able to join. And it seems like that might be the case for most of our, when we normally have sessions. Because we're normally in every other week group. So that we can have other weekends to like do other life stuff, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, and... So it's kind of like, oh, now with Keocat, with with D Legend's life barely letting him play in the first place, and with Keocat basically temporarily exiting for a while, she probably won't be back for about another month. They they weren't gonna play at all without a third character there. So I was like, perfect. Okay, that made the decision for me, right? So what we're gonna do is, since we have a new character to introduce, and because we're very far into this. Uh, and it might have been a while before you got, before, I'm dead inside. In my, <laughs> my brain is rotting. It, since it's been a while since we've explained exactly who these characters are to you, um, we're just going to recap the four characters that are in the story and then explain the new one to you. And so I'm going to have... Spoiler, uh, no spoiler warning. We're only going to explain character backstories and stuff. That's already been revealed. That has already been revealed. Okay, so I'm going to let you start because you know more about... I, I don't even know anything about so the I, Legends character, I honestly. Guess, do you want to start with the ones that are the least fleshed out or the most fleshed out so far? Uh, we can go through D-Legends and Keocat's characters relatively quickly, but do you want to talk... Let's go oldest to newest. Okay, so oldest to newest, uh, we'll start with Maya Stan then. So Maya Stan is a Dragonborn Paladin who worships Bahamut. What, what Dragonborn color is he? He is brass. I can never remember if he's brass or bronze. Yeah, he's brass. Basically, brass is kind of like the the red version of the fire dragons. There's technically two types of metallic dragons that can breathe fire, but he chose the non or he he chose the brass variety. And um, his patron, as I said, is Bahamut, and his back. Well, his. Well, I said I don't know about patron. I said patron, his <laughs> deity. Sorry, he's not a warlock. His. Uh, the god he worships um, is Bahamut. And he works for a group known as the Platinum Cadre. And the Platinum Cadre are a group of n- mostly Dragonborns. They're not Dragonborn exclusive because they will take in people of other races if their devotion to Bahamut is high enough. But it's the majority is Dragonborn. And they live in a part of the world, in a city known as Timanthir, which despite being a Dragonborn city... Uh, religion is pretty much shunned there. Um, they acknowledge the gods' existence. They're not, like, atheists completely, but they see the gods as nothing more than people, than beings who use mortals as their playthings, and they kind of resent the gods for that. Basically the same thing that Kabuto Dian felt in, uh, the now-defunct 1-20 to Karen campaign. I'm not going to... Oh, Kabuto... I think so. I was about to say. I was. I was going to say. I'm not going to shake my head. Yes, because I know nothing about Kabuto. But then you said in the Karen's campaign. Yeah, that's very similar to I think what the people of Tamanthir is like. Um, they um, 
They don't outlaw religious worship, but you are seen as less than a regular citizen if you do worship. And so the Platinum Cadre, which is located in this area, is seen as kind of a nuisance. But their devo- devotion is so strong that they, they withstand it. They, they weather the storm. Anyways, um, so a little bit of homebrew about Maistan. His Platinum Cadre was founded by a member by the guy, by a guy named Tritan. And Tritan was a paladin for Bahamut over a hundred years ago, and Bahamut gave him an axe. Um, this is the longest backstory, we promise. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Everyone else's is really short. Gave him an axe and said, um, per your request, go ahead and um, seek justice for those who can't get it. And so Tritan did a good job for a while, but then he eventually kind of became... Uh, adrift from the path that he originally started. Instead of seeking to provide justice for those who couldn't provide it for themselves, he turned to zealotism and started looking for evil things to slay. Uh, and that eventually led to his downfall. The axe was lost, and the Platinum Cadre have made it their mission to reclaim the axe for their order and restore it to its rightful owners. Um, my stand is a cadre of such, and he's been out in the world for a while now looking for this axe. And with the Sunless Citadel and Baldur's Gate, he has come very, very close to it. <laughs> like a couple feet from it? <laughs> he can almost taste it. Like his weapon connected with it. <laughs> um, but <laughs> that's in episode five. If it that's that's in that's in part five, if you don't know what we're talking about. Um and so um yes, the the axe was had shifted hands from owner to owner around the world for a while. Before it made its way to Baldur's Gate, where Maistan came very close to it, and uh, but unfortunately it was ripped away by a red Abishai by the name of uh, Chari- Ch- Um Infernal tongue. I'm still trying to get some of the names right from the pronunciation. Anyways, yeah, I, I don't. I play him, and I don't remember his name off the top of my head. His name's honestly. <laughs> Not that important. He's just that big Abishai. And he's not a reg he's like a special Abishai. Like we gave him some extra stuff and now now he's got more extra stuff they don't even know about. But um, and so my stands my stand, you know, of course he has the main quest of wanting to save Eltruel and everything, but he also had the side quest of getting the axe from this Abishai, which is now holding it in hell. Um and that is his two major plot hooks into this story. Well, everybody's main thing is freeing Eltruel. Yeah. So we're just going to not really mention that in people's uh, things today, because that's just everybody's story, because that's the main thing in this thing into Avernus. And, um, yeah, so that's pretty much my stand's backstory. I, I've tried to make it as simple as possible, but there's just so much. We, we did too good of a job in fleshing a backstory out for his character. Well, the thing is... And because he's been around for so long... Well, the thing is, you and I were so used to playing, like, exclusively homebrews. Yes. Where big, giant backstories were literally asked from us. They were like, give us big ones so that we can write whole campaigns around them. And we were like, cool. And that's that wasn't the way I did it in high school, but that's the way I've done it as an adult. And that's how Karen and Kami do it. Yeah, exactly. Because... They're the only ones I've played with. That's what the adult. theocracy was all about. And then... And then, um, and then we were in a 1 to 20 where, where yeah. she was like, give me the big boys and Make, free my soul. <laughs> yeah. I want to hear those dice roll and roll away. And so I, <laughs> learning by example, I took that mentality to make 
Connor's first character, Maya Stan's first, well, the guy who... Connor's character died at the end of Rick and Morty. Yeah. Our timeline right now is Sunless Citadel, Rick and Morty, and Avernus, which is all the same world. Yeah, same continuity. The Rick and Morty one was in a pocket dimension, but still. And, And G... His character is fully developed, and he's still going strong, so that's one of the reasons why he has such a big, longer backstory than everyone else. And Because he's from back, he's the only surviving character, well... Since from, we started. From when we started, yeah. And uh, and we kind of figured out the hard way that these big backstories are very hard to include in pre-written campaigns. Yeah, because the pre-written campaigns already have so much extra stuff for you to do. They literally make it so that you can just pick these games up and play them, so long as you're willing to put in the time to read. You don't need extra fluff as a DM because all the fluff is already provided for you. And um, I made my bed, now I'm lying in it. Yeah, it's um, kind of. It's, sometimes it's even become a problem. And it's it's not the player's fault. None no, of this no, falls no. on the players. This is this is just something that I am having to work with. It does get me excited for the next campaign when we have a proper session zero and all this stuff gets sorted out ahead of time. But uh, this is something that I will f- officially own up to, and um, I am trying to make it the best experience for my players as I can. You're not a bad DM, if that makes you feel better. You're a good DM. It does. I'm not acknowledging, or I'm not saying that I am, but I will admit when I make mistakes. You're not a bad DM. You're a terrible. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. No, I love playing with you. I'm, I'm, I'm just being a baby. No, I know. <laughs> um, now, moving on from the my next, stand. The next one would be Corvus. Corvus. So Corvus... Maya stands played by G. Corvus is played by Connor, the trading card goblin. Corvus was created after Connor's first character died, who was also named Connor. Um, Weak. <laughs> we did make fun of it for that. So Corvus <laughs> is a member of a cult um, who worships the Raven Queen in the uh, what we call the Shadowfell. It is basically a mirror world uh, of the Material Plane and the Feywild. And if you I, lose in Duel Monsters, you go there. Yeah, I guess the best way to describe <laughs> it... And I'm not going to get into a whole explanation of the different multiverse, but the Material Plane, the Feywild, and the Shadowfell all exist in the same universe. They're just parallel dimensions. Think like in Stranger Things, you have the regular world and then you have the Upside Down. The Upside Down in this case would be the Shadowfell. Um, and the Raven Queen is a she's, a... she's classified as a deity, but she is not a deity that was born a deity. She was once a mortal, specifically an elf, and she achieved divine status after uh, obtaining certain powers and established her domain in the Shadowfell. She influences mortals through these abilities that she has, and she has numerous agents of varying rank that she uses for different missions and objectives that she currently has in the fire. Um, Corvus is one of such member. He's he's not the lowest of the low, but he's a low-ranking officer. He's strong. He's powerful enough that he can go off and do stuff by himself in a capable manner, but he still has a lot of people he has to answer to. Um, and he... His whole thing is basically to go out into the world and get rid of undead and get rid of necromancers. Yeah, he... Uh, more necromancers than undead, because even though the Raven Queen does rule the Shadowfell, she's not inherently evil. She is more of a... Uh, lawful neutral deity. She sees that the manipulation of souls and the removal of souls from where they are intended to go is an affront to law. And she doesn't care if you're good or evil. She just wants to ensure that if your soul is supposed to go somewhere, it gets there. And necromancers, when they take people's souls and turn them into their own playthings or they sell them to other evil creatures as an affront to her as well as law. 
Um, and Connor ensures this as his character. And he's actually come across several necromancers in the game. And whenever he asks for guidance or permission, she's like, is it a necromancer? And he's like, yeah. Why are you still talking to me? Go kill it. <laughs> Do it. Get him. <laughs> Get him. Um, and that's pretty much his shtick. Now, being in hell, um, this is not part of the material world. So the Raven Queen's... Um, Reach is not as strong here as it normally would anywhere else. So she has an artifact for him that allows her to see uh, whatever the artifact has in its immediate purview. And um, we've even flavored it so that he contacts his patron through a telephone-like spectral raven. Yeah, he holds the raven like an old cell phone talks into it. It's pretty funny. And then, of course, they did that on Disney's The Owl House. And now they're suing Tabletop Recap, so... <laughs> I actually... I've never seen Owl House. Didn't even know that was a thing until you mentioned it to me. Yeah, I was watching the Owl House on Disney+, Plus and I was like, they talk in the Ravens' cell phones like we do in our campaign. The concept of an original idea is dead. <laughs> yeah, Disney owns literally everything. Um, <laughs> and that's pretty By much... By the way, Disney, feel free to buy us. I'm down. I'm 100% down. And that's pretty much Corvus's backstory. Uh, the, ne- the, sh- the next shortest backstory, I think, would be Jadal. And he doesn't have so much as a backstory, just so much as a lot of stuff going on personally yeah. for his character right now. He, he and Keokat's characters came in at the same time, but he started playing with us first because his other character died. Yeah, his so, character died like in the at in the middle of session two. Yeah, second time playing that character and second time playing ever. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was a funny death. And so, uh, so basically, this is who Jadal is. He is a Kensei monk Tabaxi who is, uh, if you're familiar with the Baxi, they're all nomadic. You know, they are raised by parents. They're not abandoned or anything. But at a certain age when they reach maturity, they are either encouraged or they feel the need to go out in the world and just be a cat humanoid. They are curious, they are adventurous, and they're constantly acting finicky and impulsive. Not to mention, pretty sexy. To each his own, I suppose. (laughs) But, anyways, uh, Jadal... He fancies himself a warrior scholar. He, as a Kensei monk, specializes in weaponry rather than hand-to-hand combat. And he uh, feels the need to go out into the world and learn as many different types of fighting as he can and to become a master of as many arts as possible. Uh, This is what led him to Baldur's Gate and experience the same story that the players are going through. But... This I feel this is more because of his play, his the player who controls him, not necessarily Jadal himself. But Jadal has gotten into a bit of a pickle where after dying, almost immediately after his first character gets killed, literally the next session, like two sessions down the road, he dies again. And it's like, dude, <laughs> I was so tired of creating characters that uh, I just said, you know what, forget it. There's an otherworldly being who's trying to give you a second chance. Do you accept or not? Yeah, we call that pulling a genie here at Tabletop Recap. Um, and Jadal reluctantly accepted, not realizing that this otherworldly being was the Archdevil Levistus, um, who's like the patron lord of vengeance and, um, I guess you could say survival. It's more or less just a, a hatred so strong that you refuse to die. Um, and so basically he said, okay, I own you now. I will give you a, a nice little boon that will spare your life the next time you're in a life or death situation. And in return, you do little odd jobs for me, which he has done none of so far. And it has royally ticked off Levistus, which has left him punished. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, If you want to hear about that, be sure to subscribe. 
But yeah, uh, we've already talked about the punishment in another video, so just to save time, I, I won't go into detail on that. And then our newest player, Keocat, who is in charge of the player Quinevere. I, pr- I know this one better than you. So. Go ahead. <laughs> I, bas- I mostly built this character for her. I was like, what <laughs> class and race do you want? Because she's so busy and stuff and et cetera, and a new player. And she was like, I was like, if you pick those, I'll build it for you so you don't have to worry about it. She was like, okay. And she was like, I want to be a cat. Because cats are her life. And she was like, I want to be a druid. Because cats are her life. And druids like animals. She loves the environment, doesn't she? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so she's a big environmental person. Uh, I mean, she's she's a scientist in real life. Like, she, <laughs> So uh, I was like, all right. Tabaxi druid. And just something real simple. Raised in the woods. Uh, left the woods just because she was bored <laughs> and she was like, all right. And that uh, totally fits the Tabaxi backstory. It's like, I'm bored now. I'm going to go find something that doesn't bore me. And, uh, she likes helping people. Her character really likes animals and children. Uh, she does most of her role play with children and her character doesn't really talk to adults that much. Uh, I think there's an innocence factor there that she really admires. Uh, yeah. It's, and her character loves <laughs> toys and dresses. So she like has puppets and dolls and stuff. Like whenever she comes across those, she takes them and she has like multiple dresses that she can wear around and stuff. Very flamboyant. I love it. Um, and then her list of dislikes is very short. It just says Corpus <laughs> and wolves. And uh, there you go. <laughs> That's her dislikes. She does not like wolves, which is funny because like raised in the wolves, well raised in the woods. Wolves are a big predator, and also she's a cat, and they're doggies. Yeah. So, so yeah. hellhounds scare the ever-living crap out of her. Yeah, she did not fight those hellhounds <laughs> a few sessions ago. She was like, I'm going to go uh, protect those kids over there. I'm not, there's, I'm a, not there, these there's a thing over there that I heard that I should really go take care of. Yeah, but that's basically her. Just a real quick one. And then, the, it's kind of a half-DM NPC thing. Uh, you have a character sheet, and you play him just like a regular player character. You just consult everything with me when he does something. Yeah, he's a support. Like, basically, I'm only rolling perception if everyone fails perception and stuff like that. And You're not even that good at perception. No, I don't think I am, actually. No, I got, I got proficiency in perception. Never mind. <laughs> so then how do you have a passive wisdom of 10? Or passive perception of 10? Where is that? I don't know. Oh, well. It's because I got the proficiency and I, there was added stuff. Uh, but yeah, so his name is Drizic Grand. He is a drow. He is the only evil party member. For now. Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> I've never played an evil character before either. I have. It's fun, but detrimental to the party. <laughs> well, the first time you played an evil character was on accident, Mr. Quote-unquote chaotic good. <laughs> Mr. Quote, that one of my favorite quotes from our sessions of all time was, was Chaotic does not cancel good. Chaotic does not cancel good. <laughs> like, you blow up an entire street block and you're like, I'm, he's like, why would you do that? I'm chaotic good. Die. <laughs> well, someone definitely died before that retcon. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever. You can listen to the Theocracy campaign if you want all those details. Uh, but uh, he's basically just. A guy got trapped in Avernus a while back. What's his race and class? Oh, yeah, I gave his race a drow. I forgot to give his class. He's just a fighter. Never played a fighter, and I didn't want... He's mostly just support, so a fighter is kind of decent for a DM NPC. Some support. Uh, and his stats aren't as high as everybody else's. Uh, 
soldier background, so he's like a former soldier that's just doing mercenary work, and they really screwed him over, man. As soon as he meets them, they ruined his life. <laughs> More than it was already ruined, I mean. Like, imagine living in hell and then having a day so bad you consider your life ruined. <laughs> Imagine living in hell full-time for years. For so long, you don't remember your age because there's no day or night cycle. And this is the day that ruined his life. Not getting trapped in hell, but meeting these people. That's how much they screwed him over. It was so funny. You will love it. But he's, he's a really apathetic. Like, he doesn't care about anything. Like, if someone's threatening him with a knife, he'll be like, do it. I'll be in Avernus either way. Try me. Like, if you kill me, I'm just gonna be a devil. I'll just be here anyways. It doesn't matter. Uh, the only thing he cares about is... Uh, Money? Yeah, but it's not like... <laughs> he doesn't... It's more like... Money for... It's not a greedy. He's a big barterer, is what I'm trying to he's say. He's not inherently greedy. He just believes that everything has a price and no one's going to screw him over. Yeah, he's not greedy at all. Like, today he was willing to take leather scraps from someone to do a job. Because the way he looks is, like, he's got some, like, long silver hair, purple eyes. You know, he's got, like, the obsidian black skin. And he has, like, leather armor. But it's so old. It's the leather armor he got trapped in Avernus wearing. So it's, like super patched up there's not a bit of leather on it that's from the original armor mm. and he's got uh this cool custom shield we gave him yeah. we just we just tried to give him some personality we didn't want just like random drow <laughs> and he he's a fighter who utilizes ranged weaponry like crossbows and bows and arrows so the the bow we the shield we gave him is like this custom shield that has a custom divot in it yeah and so it he doesn't can, it, it doesn't make the shield stronger. It doesn't make the crossbow stronger. It just makes it so he can use them both at once easily. Yeah. I, I see no problem with that. Yeah, because my guy's AC is way lower than my stands in Corvus's. And it would make sense that a guy who's been in hell for a while would have picked up a few tricks on how to survive. Yeah, and he's and you know how they have their infernal war machine? He has a motorcycle yeah, He has like a that. devil's ride motorcycle. And he takes silver for jobs, not so he can use it to pay for things, but so he can use it to make silver weapons, yeah. which in his eye are more valuable. That's one thing that I feel that the players are still having a hard time grasping in hell, is that they're looking at currency as just that, something that has value. Everything in Avernus is not traded because it has a monetary value. Silver is traded openly because devils like to use it to make daggers that will stab other devils in the back so they can ascend the hierarchy. Uh, they like gold, not because it's gold and it's valuable, but because mortals think gold is valuable and they want to use it to tempt them for future contracts to get souls. And the only thing they really consider as a form of currency that has value for the sake of value is souls. But even then, souls aren't just currency. They are literally the thing that is used to make new devils to fight demons in the blood war. Yeah. <laughs> so money is not simply money in Avernus. And I think your character knows that a bit better than the other characters. Yeah, my guy tried to tell them that. He was like, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to all of that. Uh, but yeah, that's basically who he is. The one really interesting thing on him is also he has like a little chain necklace with a wedding ring on it. Which no one asked him about. But he wouldn't Are you surprised with this group? <laughs> he wouldn't have told him anyways. <laughs> Not yet. You could, but, you could literally have the players come across a guy in this group where he's dancing naked with a severed human head on his head. And he's speaking gibberish. And they're like, 
Okay, then. Moving on. Yeah, but this guy's backstory is like three sentences. So, like, the the wedding ring isn't something big. Yeah, but you could have made it whatever you wanted. It's just something to make him feel like he's not two-dimensional. He is two-dimensional, by the way. He's intentionally two-dimensional. But it's just something so he doesn't feel two-dimensional. And it's also kind of proof of him being evil once they figure out what it is. Oh, yeah. Because they don't even... Like, they could probably guess he's evil, but they have no proof that he's evil. And by the time... We record these episodes like a month in advance. By the time this goes up, we'll probably have two more sessions, and I'm sure they'll be more familiar with him. But yeah, that's that's kind of just a big reminder of who everybody is and uh, information on who Drizzik is. Drizzik, the fighter drow. So, with that being said, let us... Yeah, we're already this. almost 30 minutes in. This, I, I knew this would be a long one today, but... I'll try and keep the, the cringier details to a, a minimum, and I'll try to shorten the long sections as best I can. Yeah, today there just today there were mistakes, and there had to be a, some minor retcons. Uh, and basically what I'm going to explain to you, I will acknowledge the mistakes that I as the DM made, uh, but for the sake I of time... And I will harp on you about it for 20 minutes at a time. No, I'm not going to yeah. do that. Like, but just for the in sake... private, we've already gone over what we need to change, because I am co-DMing as well. We've gone over what we need to change. And I've already clarified with the players about what the retcons were and what changes need to be made, along with apologies if anyone felt excluded or undermined. Um, so for the sake of time, I'm going to just acknowledge that I made mistakes at certain sections and then just explain what the retcon situation was. Oh, and I forgot to mention earlier, uh, Keokat's character, Guinevere, the... Yeah. Did we even say her name when we brought her character up? Guinevere, yeah. I yeah. said Guinevere. So Guinevere, she also stole a Tresum <laughs> from an NPC. Oh yes, I forgot about that. That's her baby. <laughs> we just So just so you know, when she plays, there's also a... Very uptight Tressum, who only cares about food and nothing else. Yeah. But but also, now let's get into it. Today's players are my Stan Ballastar, played by G. Corvus, whatever his other name is, played by Connor the Trading Card Goblin. And this was the session that introduced Drizzik, played by me, your host. So the session opens up. The players are just now uh, getting over their fight with Ragadraga's um, vehicle. And their vehicle's like... Beat it's beat up. up. It's bad. Like half. They they took a literal wrecking side to the to the broad side of their vehicle. Um, so after they 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 saw the vehicle to loot Ragged Dragon's body and then they drive off. But then after a little while, their vehicle starts having some issues and they experience what is called a a, a furnace rupture. So they basically lose thirty feet of their movement from their total movement speed. And they can, they're mobile, but if something comes up to them, they're not going to be able to outrun it. So it's like, ah, oh, we got to fix this. Um, as they're trying to do this, they realize that fixing this machine is a way above their experience level. And while they're figuring out what to do, they have some no. figure. No, that's not what happens. What happens is uh, they're like, Lulu reminds them, because Lulu's here also. If you don't know Lulu, she's a miniature holy fant that has amnesia who's following them around trying to help them because she used to hang out with Zariel who is the VBEG of this campaign. Mm -hmm. Sorry if that was fast. But... <laughs> My stand was asking like, okay, we can't fix this. Lulu, do you know any place around here that we could get repairs? And she reminded them that, yes, Mad, Mad Maggie said the Wandering Emporium is a place we could get repairs. And then they were like, which way is the Wandering Emporium? And you, to answer that question... Have a motorcycle drive by, which is obviously Drizzik. Uh, it wasn't obvious to them, but 
now that I've told you guys he has a motorcycle and everything, I'm sure you, the I'm sure the listeners know that. But uh, so Drizzik just drives right past them, uh, goes over a slight incline of a hill, and then dips back down. Yeah. So when the players ask which way is something, and then you give them that. It's almost certainly you pointing them in the direction. You, you think. And then it drives by. There's like five seconds of silence. And then G goes, well, that happened. But how are we going to find the wandering important? <laughs> and then I had to like add more to it. And I'm like, as you're standing there thinking about where the wandering emporium is, you hear sounds of... Uh, large groups of beings congregating. You can hear sounds of music. You can hear um, what sounds like... Uh, uh, yeah. It sounds like a bazaar. Because they can hear it because their vehicle's not running and they're standing outside because they were trying to fix it. It's literally... And it's, oh, and what do you know? It's in the same exact direction right over the hill that guy just went over. It's literally a quarter mile away from where your character just drove off to. From Yeah, from where Drizzik just went. And so they go up this little incline with their limping vehicle and it's like, oh... That looks like it could be a wandering emporium. And I'm like, yeah, you're go ahead. Jesus. And so they, they see my guy pull up uh, and park. And then they park right behind him. And that very specific parking spot will come into place later. Yeah, they specifically <laughs> park right behind your guy. Which I did incorporate. And so they get out and they're like asking him questions like, they're doing a super poor job of it. but <laughs> it's, it's like pulling teeth almost. Yeah, and they were like, do you know Mahadi? And he was like, yeah, I've had to deal with Mahadi. And my guy, like, sums him up. And he's like, you guys are new here, right? And they were like, yeah, we're going to go buy stuff. And I was like... Your clothes look way too nice to be here yeah, for a while. That's what he said. He was like, your clothes are so nice. Because remember, he's wearing scraps of leather sewn together into a leather armor. And if you've ever seen <laughs> Mad Max, any of the Mad Max movies, new and old, you know how those people dress. <laughs> in rags. Yeah. And my stance in like super shiny armor. And Corvus is in a nice cloak or something with leather armor. And he's like, you guys are you're new to Avernus, right? So you don't know anything about Mahati? And uh, it's a DM NPC, so I'm trying not to just tell them everything, right? Yeah, you did a very good job. To be honest, I'm actually very proud of how not metagamey I was today. Uh, so he's like, "I'll take you to Mahadi," uh, and I've I've you know done stuff with him before, so my presence might you know keep him from trying to take advantage of the new fruit, which is what he called them. Uh, and they were like, sure, we'll accept that. And he was like, all right. And he held out his hand and he was like, pay me. Yeah, 10 silver. <laughs> they were like, what? And they were like, what about gold? And he was like, I don't want gold. I'm not going to use it to pay for things. I'm going to make silver weapons out of it. And, and then Corvus, bless his heart, he's so bad. This session made me realize Corvus is a terrible negotiator. His charisma stat is incredible. But he, the words that... <laughs> That come out of Corvus's mouth don't make any sense. He was trying to be like, and he was like, okay, I guess we can give you 10 silver. And I was like, no, 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 no. You're going to give me 10 silver each. <laughs> Sorry. And Lugie. And then uh, Corvus was like, no, you're going to do it for free or something. You, you tell this yeah, part. So the, I guess he was trying. When you're a new player, speaking from experience, because we've all been there if you've played D&D. You've all been there. You don't... It takes a little while to fully grasp what exactly you can and can't do with your 
uh, skill checks. Yeah, because this and guy for, is a DM NPC, but he's also kind of half player character. Yeah. So and and, and, on, and on our table, you do not use persuasion rolls on a fellow player character, uh, unless for whatever reason a situation arises where, like, if a, a player is taken control by an enemy and that player is then converted against the party. You can roll an insight on a player member. Yeah, we've done that all the time in Karen and yeah. uh, Kami's campaigns with me. I remember I failed it hard, and you convinced me you could pull a Naruto. And so, Go listen to the theocracy. It's a wild ride. I actually edited it all into one giant episode, if you want to just listen to it all at once. It's wild. The but, theocracy is a wild campaign that we always compare our new campaigns to. But without getting too far sidetracked, yes, um, yes, yes. persuasion checks are not like... Jedi mind tricks, where as soon as you make a success, the person automatically is going to do whatever you say. There's a charm spell for that, okay? Uh, persuasion is like if you want to get better prices on bartering, if you want to try and convince someone that, hey, I'm not actually a bad guy, you can trust me a little bit. And it won't even then it won't make them absolutely trust you, they'll just be more inclined to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And, and Corvus is like, I want to roll a persuasion check to get everything I want for free. <laughs> No. Corvus is a very much I want everything for free kind of guy. Uh, Which, you know, is fine, you know. And there are ways... If I had a charisma stat like his, I would try to get everything for free. He's he's got the charisma to do it. He really does. But it's the execution is where it falls flat. And and so uh, he's like, I won't give you silver, but I'll trade you this random weapon I have. And my guy was like... And he turns weapons into silver weapons. And so that's you, like that's like his side hustle. He didn't fully explain it to them, but his side hustle is he gets silver weapons made and then sells them for profit. They also didn't ask what your side hustle was, so you were not inclined to tell them what you wanted the weapons for. Or the they silver. also didn't bother asking his name. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't know your name until halfway through the session. <laughs> Those guys are crazy. Um, My guy didn't ask theirs because he didn't care. He's, and so, and you hold your hand out for the glaive. I'm like, okay, let me see it. And he's like, no, you can't touch it you think i'm just gonna give you a weapon as if my guy wasn't already armed to the teeth right so so, he's like so you want to trade me a weapon and you won't let me inspect it and then my stand was like here's 20 silver excuse my friend please help us along (laughs) please take us to mahati and he's like okay and uh, so he takes them like straight to Mahadi, so they don't have to perception to find it. They don't have to do all this stuff. And, and also they don't. Uh, and also they get because they paid him and he went with them. They get advantage on insight checks with Mahadi. Yeah, they never use insight. But actually, today they, they finally started using. I think insight they did insight twice, at least twice, and I'm very proud of them. And I'm also positive the reason they did it was because they heard us making fun of them on the podcast so much. <laughs> Uh, and but I know you guys are listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Yeah, we love you guys. We love you guys. We uh, love how you play, too. It's so funny. Yeah. We love it. <laughs> now, uh, I, while they're going to Mahadi, because Mahadi's kind of got like his own setup in the middle, most secure region of the bazaar, and I basically explained to them what some of the other shops look like. I explained what some of the denizens are. Some of them are devils. Some of them are non-devils. They're actually creatures that you might encounter in the material world. Like There's a huge variety of creatures here. And before um, we walked into Mahadi's area, my guy was like, this is the only place I eat. <laughs> like, 100%. Eat here before you leave. And don't drink the tap water. <laughs> um, but so they get there, and Mahadi's building is just... It's not run down, but it's a very small shack with a sign out front that says uh, Infernal Rapture. And there's a curtain on the outside, and they're like, this is it? And he's like, yeah, just go on in. And Lulu sticks her head in, and she's like, 
hey, it's way bigger in here than it is on the outside. And she like immediately goes in. Oh, but TARDIS style. It, it is basically a TARDIS, except it's it's a, it's a wooden building instead of a police unit. It's traveling through hell instead of time and space. And so they go in, and it is this massive three-part luxury resort, almost like a hotel. There's this massive dining room with all of these very ornate and uh, beautiful uh, tables, and you can smell all of the good food, because the thing about hell is that it affects everything that it's involved with. So the players have all this food on them that just tastes like garbage. But for whatever reason, the food actually smells, and if you ask anyone, because they didn't taste it, uh, tastes wonderful. And yeah, it's right. like heavily advertised that this is the one place in hell where you can get actually good food. Um, there's a masseuse and a bath parlor for people who actually want to get a, a nice little bit of hygiene going. And then there's a second story on the inside that leads up to a uh, an inn area where you can pay to have a room to yourself and you can sleep, get rested, and acquainted with other people. Uh, it's very, very high-end. Um, and they come in. And they meet Mahadi right off the bat. He happens to be there right at the front, and he, you know, is about to welcome them until he see, sees Lulu. And he's a little caught off guard at first. He says, oh, Lulu, what are you doing here? And uh, yeah. if you don't remember from past episodes, they are there because, one, as we said, they have to get their car fixed. But also because Lulu told them that she trusts Mahadi because he was nice to her. She doesn't remember everything about her experience with him, but she does remember him personally she does remember that he did help her, and she believes that, given his resources and current position, that he might have some information to help them. And he kind of does. Um, he uh, first makes sure, he, he, he inquires as to what Lulu was doing there, and that it's been so long since he saw her, and that it was good to see her. Uh, and then uh, she tells him that, yeah, we're here to, one, save the people of El Chuel, which he thought was funny, because, you know, how are you going to save an entire city that's already in hell? Someone, or was it your character who did that? Someone laughed when you mentioned saving El Chuel. Uh, no. <laughs> no, you're thinking of later. Uh, okay, that was later? No, I don't think they were... T- My guy was kind of eating. He wasn't really listening to all this. Uh, he went and got food and came back. And he didn't really come back in until they were talking about the Abishai. Oh, okay, so... Which is our own kind of homebrew well, side quest that they have. Lulu basically told told him what their current plot and quest was and uh he says oh of course of course you know you 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 have to pay of course but i'm more than willing to accommodate you for anything you need here um and i you know if you have any questions let me know he was very friendly very uh, very much a good host um and so this is when my stand and corvus start asking questions and my stand of course asked you know hey have you seen uh do you get a lot of Abishais through here? And he's like, well, I mean, Abishais aren't super common, but I mean, Tiamat lives here, so it's safe to assume that her minions are constantly coming and going for various reasons. Um, and uh, then he said, why do you ask? And then he told him, and this is the thing is when your character came back, um, and he says, yeah, I'm looking for one that stole a giant shiny axe. And then, <laughs> and, and my guy and Mahani were both like, you're looking for that, Abishai? You're looking for Chereer? And they were like, oh, you know him? And both Mahadi and Drizik were like, he changed the status quo of, like, Tiamat's entire army. Yeah, like, he, he <laughs> rearranged the pecking order. He is her right hand right now. Which I don't think really hit them when they heard it, because we didn't say... I don't think we used the words right hand. We just yeah. said, like, he's her guy right now. Exactly. And you know, you would think that had more of an impact. Later, that was fully... 
we'll get to Harmon's Hill. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which was then, my favorite part. And then uh, Corvus, uh, after that uh, conversation happens, Corvus begins, you know, he actually did, he was really smart about this. He's asking, okay, is what, where can we go to get weapons? Where can we go to get armor? We need repairs. What, what, what specifically uh, are the places we need to go to get our stuff taken care of? And he says, oh, and Mahai told him, you need to go to the Fire Snake Forge if you want to get weapons, armor, and vehicle repairs. You need to go to this place called uh, Ickers Away if you want um, Demon Icker and some minor magical effects. Um, you know, was very straightforward to the point. And uh, they didn't stick around Infernal Rapture very long. Um, and they said goodbye to Mahadi for right now. Uh, Lulu did... Um, no, Maya Stan also did ask. He says, is there any way that you could tell me more information about Chereer, the, the Red Abishai? He says, well, I don't know anything about specific locations or whereabouts. From what I know, he constantly moves around on Tiamat's orders. Uh, but I travel all over Avernus. I've got a bunch of connections I can ask around. Give me a day or two, and I'll get back to you. And he said there'd be a labor fee for that. Ooh, they shouldn't have agreed to that, man. Well, technically, <laughs> they never signed anything, but whatever information he gathers, they will have to pay for. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> uh, anyways, so they, they leave Infernal Rapture, and the first thing they go, go to is uh, the Fire Snake Forge, which is run by three Fire Snakes, uh, that I think I'm fairly certain that they are a reference to Battletoads because they all have names based on skin conditions. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never played Battletoads, so I have absolutely no. I thought they, when you described them, it reminded me of the Sci Fi Channel original movie Sun Serpent, which nobody remembers on this planet except for me. <laughs> uh, let me turn to the page real quick. It's not very long, and I think I can get to it relatively quickly. And they were oddly. Like they, they were very helpful. The thing about you doing accents for characters is yeah, they keep devolving into New they, York Brooklyn accents. Yeah, they they start specifically a Jewish one for some reason. I don't know what a Jewish New Yorker sounds like, but it's uh, like <laughs> I know I should have married a lawyer. Oh my god, is but that yeah, is that what you're talking about? The accent you have kind of just devolves into a Brooklyn Jewish accent somehow, and no matter what accent you use. And your accents like start out like top, and it's hard to maintain an accent, especially when there's this many NPCs to deal with, like, and you're running and you're doing multiple things at once. And um, let me see, the Fire Snake Forge. The name of these guys here they are. Uh, their name is Rash, Skids, and Slag, and they heard two of those names. Um, and Rash and Skids are the ones I think they heard, and because um, they were making fun of them. They said something funny, so they gave the, him a discount, quote-unquote, air quotes. Yeah, uh, but so they're, they're run by the three fire snakes, and then the fire snakes have a bunch of magmen lackeys, which are these little tiny evil elementals that run around, and they're basically just doing odd jobs. Yeah, there are a couple different minis of them you can get. Um, and so they say, well, what can we help you with? And they say, well, first thing we do is we need repairs. And they're like, okay, what's the model of your vehicle? Typical mechanic stuff. Uh, and they said, okay, where is it parked? And they're like, oh, it's right out front. And he's like, okay, we've got some other things we got to get to. Give us a minute. We'll go around and collect it. Because you don't need keys for these things. You just need souls. The best thing about the Infernal War Machine is you don't have to have insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Although they super need it. <laughs> Actually, there are uh, insurance salesmen in, uh, in hell. Yeah, but you don't legally have to have, like, car insurance no. in a Um... <laughs> <laughs> and they said, we'll go collect it, and uh, just so you know that for... And this is where it kind of metagamed a little bit, where I, I said, okay, so basically if you guys want to repair it, it's 50 gold pieces per HP 
point that you want to restore. And they only have like half their HP thanks to that wrecking ball. Yeah, there were a couple times just in roleplay today where they could where someone couldn't get something verbally across. Like when he was like, What do you want your armor to do? And Corvus was trying to like, I want it to do this. They're like, What do you mean? And he was like, I want two points on my armor class. They were like, Okay. <laughs> um, and so they I think they wound up paying seven hundred and fifty gold pieces for fifteen uh, armor points, which is you know, that brought them up to three quarters health. They were completely restored their armor, fixed the um the uh the the, the furnace leak that I was telling you about. And they got their it didn't co- happen like immediately. In no. fact, it didn't happen until after a role play. The fire snakes just—they were writing down, "Okay, we've got this to do, that to do. Give us your payment, and we'll tell you when we've got your car fixed." And uh, they're honorable guys. I mean, yeah, they're they're evil, but they are going to stick by their word because Mahadi tells them to. And this is the last they see Drizzik. He went that direction, not with them, but in the same direction because he needed crossbow bolts. That's his main weapon. Um, and then Corvus wanted to buy some new armor. He upgraded from leather armor to leather studded armor. Uh, and then my Stan, uh, he upgraded. He said, I want, um, what's the toughest armor you got? And I said, well, we got this brand new uh, set of infernal plate armor that we finished making just this morning. And they bring out this really shiny, it's not magical, but it's dark iron with infernal runes and markings on it to give it some flair. And well, uh, Honestly, when they brought it out... Uh do you remember that skin you could get in the first Dead Space where you had like the marker runes all over your mechanic? Yeah, armor? it's very similar to that, except it doesn't glow red. Well, yeah, when you when they got that, I was like, reminds me of Dead Space. I love Dead Space. <laughs> it's um, one of my favorite. It's, games it's all time. very high quality armor, but it was very. Uh, it looked like a devil would wear it. And my stand is like looking at his armor, and he's all shiny and holy looking, and he's like, "You have anything that's a little bit less infernal?" And they went, "Ah, <laughs> that's a good one, mate." <laughs> Where do you think you are? <laughs> oh, no, no. Then he said, I'm serious. He's like, you're in hell. You're not going to find anything holy looking. <laughs> so that they got a good laugh out of that. Not unless you have it, like, custom made, which would cost way more. Yeah. Of course. Um, and so he, he paid 1,500 gold for the armor plus a bunch of gems. They ripped him off, by the way. I know they did. I, I knew they did. He did not question it. Um, He's and, too nice. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, that uh, that was where the fire snake thing ended. But before they left, Maestan received a secret message. Well, not secret. He received a message from a courier who was paid to deliver a little piece of paper to go see the barber. And I did mention as the players were passing some of the stores that they did notice there was one small tent that had a spiraled red and white um, barber sign out front. And this is like middle-aged barber. Which is, of course, supposed to be like a barber shop hole, obviously. Uh-huh. And now, this is not... Yes, barbers can be hairdressers and whatnot, but this this is like the old position of a barber where you're not just a hairdresser. You are, in fact... Uh, you're pulling just, teeth. You're amputating limbs. Yeah, you're doing medical work. Um, you're a surgeon, essentially. And uh, my stand was told to go see this person, or go visit the tent. And this is where I will admit the roleplay broke down. I made so many mistakes... And I, I had to atone to my players and just tell them, I said, look, guys, this, I had this whole thing planned out. It was supposed to go in a totally different direction. And I wound up spending too much time on one player and thought that I was undermining their personal quest, like a side quest. And another player I completely ostracized. Yeah, we had to do a couple of retconnings because it, 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 we, it, it did not flow well and it was too much of a dump. It took way too long, and only one character was allowed to interact 
which I, I didn't know how this was going to go, man. I, <laughs> I had a, I'm, I'm just fetching minis and drawing maps and helping you uh, and double-checking rules and stuff. That's mostly what I'm doing. I'm not in control of the story stuff. The only story stuff I really have a say in is... And I'm not trying to defer blame to you. I'm just saying No, I'm, that, I'm, I'm owning up to it. I'm, ju- I'm just saying that, like, I'm not... I didn't know how it was supposed to go because well, her character is one that's actually in the module, correct? Yeah, she is a Avernus written character, but I wrote around it so that she could be an NPC that would interact with my stand because when they come to the barbershop, it is run by a fairly uh, beautiful and young-looking woman. They, they refer to her ethnicity as Kalashite, but none of these characters know where uh, the Kalashite province is in the material realm. I don't know where the... <laughs> <laughs> just has a play, um, I don't know. Falister Fisk is a Kalashite male, so I guess you could say that they have, they have a light brown skin tone or hue. Okay. Not that at this point it's a huge issue, but a very beautiful woman with both hairdressing and also some minor surgeon implements. And she wants to, she, she says, I see you got my message. I wasn't expecting you to, to bring friends. Um, and my first mistake was sending Corvus out of the room. Um, yeah, I mean, he's helping look for the axe, too. And the thing is, everyone's looking for the axe, which is it's my stand's quest, but everyone's joined him on it. Mm-hmm. But they're kind of being excluded by Bahamut people. They only want to talk to my stand, and that's caused so much trouble. Uh, so it's like, they're, they're going to... We just had to redo it. We had to so, wreck yeah. on it. And, and long story short, this character, her name is Bernie... Um, she does have uh, a longer name that she did tell Myosan about. Her name is um, Bella Rustal, but uh, that was about as much personal inspiration get. But she does know who Myosan is. She and she told him that she says I'm an agent for Bahamut, and uh, I don't really like you. Uh, I heard you've been looking for the axe. You need to be aware that it is way out of your reach. You're most likely not going to come back if you do this. And uh, it's kind of upsetting Bahamut that you've taken it this far. And which that, we had to retcon. Which I, that was retconned. Because um, that was like telling him the exact opposite of everything he'd had. And it's weird making that his main quest. And then taking it away. And then being like, don't look for it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that, that whole thing was retconned. And basically what I explained to the players was that... Um, Bernie is not trying to cancel the quest. Bernie uh, is just letting you know that she, while Bahamut likes you, that doesn't necessarily mean I have to. Basically, the moral is don't give up. Don't. Don't trade your morals for material objects. The axe isn't more important than being a good person. Because the Platinum Contrae has this obsession with the axe. It's their whole reason for existing. And it shouldn't be... I mean, getting the axe away from Tiamat is obviously a good thing. You do yeah. not want that powerful divine relic to be on the literal opposite end of where it's supposed to and, be. And Bahamut doesn't like the fact that the axe he made is in Avernus, but he does not want to sacrifice his own followers to get it back. Basically, it's just becoming less black and white. Yes, it's very complex. Um, so we had to retcon that to basically be instead of, don't worry about the axe, to... Be aware while you're looking. Don't for the lose axe. yourself while looking for the axe. Exactly. You you fr- you phrase it way better than I did. I'm just used to this. <laughs> is all. Um, I'm used to these cliches. <laughs> and so, and as Corvus and Mysan both separately left Bernie, 
my stand, by the way, was actively mad. After I've never, it, it was just in character madness, not player madness. Yeah, but I've never seen my stand get like that she, before. She based, she did everything except get in his face about uh, his beliefs and his order and his quest, and he was having none of it. I was like, oh my god, who is this person? I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> but, but I don't know you anymore. But uh, and this this is something else that kind of had to be tweaked in a retcon. As they left, Corvus, when he left, forgot about why he was even in the barbershop tent to begin with. And that's that's something that I, as a DM, have to keep kind of quiet. But after he left the tent, he forgot about Bernie. He didn't even really know what was going on since he stepped in. And all he remembers is going in and then coming out. Um, my stand was very similar in that he completely forgot about the, the huge heated argument he had with Bernie and everything she was talking about but he did have this sense that the axe may not be you know don't something how is it we worded it don't obsess so much about the axe or the axe is not as important as you might think it is basic no we already said it like uh the axe is not as important as being a good person yeah and he he had this feeling in his mind that something had changed about his personal opinions toward the axe and he even said ladies i want to pray to bahamut and see what happens uh, anyway so then we go to corvus, corvus in the magic enchantment place and this was funny this it was, was uh, it was horrible but it was funny. oh my god this was so funny like not funny to corvus i think he was a little annoyed but it was funny to us so <laughs> after after he left the uh, the barber, he says, I'm going to go see if I can enhance my magic armor. Because even though I got brand new armor, I want to increase it more. Because he only has like a 14 AC. Which for a warlock is yeah. average. And then we did the math and it turns out that was accidentally too high this entire time. It should have been lower. Yeah, so he should have had lower AC to begin with. He got the upgraded armor and has gone to the AC that he's currently at now. Um... And he wants to enhance it magically. So he goes to Ickers Away, like Mahadi told him. And um, this is run by a... He thought the guy was on crack. <laughs> He's just on Icker. Mm-hmm. Well, he is a lawful, evil human uh, named uh, Eliok. And this guy, his main trait is Icker, which is both a mutagen and a item that can be used in various rituals... And um, is used to increase temporary increase and temporarily increase the speed of war machines. It acts like a nitrous boost. Um, but he does do some magic stuff on the side. And Corvus was like, "Hey, I heard you do magic." And I'm not going to repeat the voice because it took too much effort to do to begin with. But he basically says in a crazy, seemingly cracked out way, he says, uh, "Yeah, I do some magic stuff, but the prices ain't cheap." And Why would they? It's magic. And uh, he said, well, how much would it cost to get a, a magical enhancement to my armor? He says, oh, you want an armor enhancement? And I was like, do you want it to, like, resist certain types of damage? Do you want, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah? And Carlos says, like, well, I just want to increase my armor class by two points. He says, oh, two points, you say? Like, that, that would be expensive. That would, I'm looking at five soul coins here for that. And he says, five soul coins? What's that in gold? And he says, like, uh, 30,000 gold. <laughs> Like a plus three to armor class is a fairly legendary, you know, increase. You know, that's not something you're just going to get willy nilly. Well, plus two, you said. Yeah. Um, and he says, what, 30,000 gold? There's no way I'll get that. He says, is there any way that you can reduce that? And the guy says, yeah, I can reduce the cost significantly if you do a job for me. And uh, he says. Is this a quest that was in the book? Or no, I literally that? came up with this on the fly. 
Okay, I, I thought you did because I was like, I don't remember discussing well, this pre-session. Well, the 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 job itself is kind of pre-written out, but the the way it was set up was on the fly. Oh, okay. Um, so it's almost like a random encounter. That yeah. You, in fact, okay. um, so basically, this guy he has a he had a shipment stolen to him, stolen from him by one of the warlords in Avernus uh, by the name of Bitter Breath, and Bitter Breath is a Horn Devil, who rides around with a crew of hobgoblins, raiding and attacking other people and getting resources to, you know, live their lifestyle. Uh, it's not extravagant, but it's a it's one way to survive. And uh, Elikai is just saying, like, look, they, she stole a bunch of ichor from me. I want it back. You give me that shipment of ichor back. I'll. He didn't even say how much he was going to reduce it by. He just said, I would significantly reduce the price. And what exactly was it that Connor said? He said he was going to take it down by, like, two, I think. Yeah, uh, two or three soul coins he would take off. I think it was two soul coins. And then he was like, "Uh, what would I have to do to get the whole thing? And he was like, I think you were a little generous, to be completely honest. No, I wasn't. Are you sure? Yeah, because if you know... <laughs> Maybe that tough? If you've seen the stats of a Horned Devil, they are literally one rank below Pit Fiend. Oh, jeez. So uh, it's fair. So, And he was like, I'll give you the whole armor for free if you can kill the Warlord. And then he was like, this was the part that was so funny. Uh, he's like, okay, if you kill the Warlord, sure, I'll give you the whole thing for free. And then Corvus is like... Kill a warlord. I'm gonna need more pay if I'm gonna do two things. And the shopkeep was so confused because he was like, "I just, I just offered to give you more pay." I may be a madman cracked out on Icker, but even I know that that's a fair like, deal. I just, fair deal. It's like, yeah, you asked what you would have to do to get it an even free, and I told you, and now that's unfair somehow. Unfair. <laughs> And he was like, this is this, if, is this is not negotiating. This is babble. If I'm going to do this, you have to get the warlord here and set a trap for him and blah blah blah. No, I then, was too generous with that. I should have just told him and said, "Look, that's the deal. Screw you if you don't want if you don't like yeah, it." Yeah, the shopkeeper was like, "I have to set a trap and do all the work." <laughs> yeah, why am I giving you this for free again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then he, they agree to it. He leaves. He meets Mystan in the street. And then he's like, hey, Mystan, we're going to do this. And we're going to get five soul coins. And Mystan was like, no. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Soul coins? No way. And he was like, no, no, no. It's just soul coins and store credit. Because Mystan doesn't want to use soul coins on anything. So you're telling me that we're doing a job for no real money that's only going to benefit you. <laughs> Why should I agree to this? And then they were like, and then... They were like, oh, maybe we can get that drow, because my guy's just been gone for a little while. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you had him roll, and they had, they saw him leave a little while ago. So they go out, and then they, they 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 go up to him, and he's like leaning up on his bike like some greaser in a movie or something. Connor's, and Connor's like, hey, I'm glad you're still here. And he's like, well, I don't have much of a choice, and you blocked me in. <laughs> yeah, I had him say... I didn't have a choice. These, these, a couple of censored parked right behind me. <laughs> He's very apathetic. Like, he doesn't care that he has to wait. That That's his main thing on his sheet, is uh, that he's apathetic. Uh, that's kind of one of his flaws. Uh, and they were like, so we're, we're trying to get a group together. Do you have any friends that could help us fight this warlord? And he was like, I don't have any friends. <laughs> None that you could afford, anyway. 
That's, that's exactly what he said. And then Corbett was like, well, we'll hire you to help us. And he was like, okay, what's the what's the pay? And, dude, I, this is exactly what happened. Corvus goes, well, once we beat the warlord and get the shipment that was stolen back, I get a free super powerful magic armor, and the shopkeep gets everything we take. And my guy was like, what do I get? What do I get, though? <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, I'm sure there will be some scraps. You can loot the body, I guess. Uh, no, I'm a professional mercenary, and there's no guarantee that there will be any loot at all. I need to be paid up front if I'm going to put my life in danger. And then he pulls out that standard, regular weapon that he will not let him inspect, and is like, random, normal weapon? weapon? <laughs> By the way, a glaive is only worth 45 gold pieces. Like It's, it's one of the better weapons, but it's not going to cover the cost of what he's asking you. Yeah. This is at least a 200 gold piece job. Yeah. They, he offered, and then Corvus was like, all right, how about 100 gold pieces? And my guy doesn't want gold, like, at all. Like Plus, I actually, actually have a lot of gold that they don't even know about uh, that you gave me. But he's like, how about 200 silver? And then he was like, I don't have that much. How about every bit of silver I have and... Uh, <laughs> the rest in gold pieces. And then just some gold pieces. And then my guy's like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I feel like I'm not going to get anything. And there's only three of us. And while this has been going on, those snake dudes came and they took the Infernal War Machine away. Took them two hours to fix it up. And then when it comes back around after some more debate... My guy sees it and he's like, oh, you won't be fighting in a piece of garbage anymore. Okay, yeah, sure. I'll take the money and do it. So you, you've got the regular crew in there. Uh, it's called a Tormentor, which is basically like an infernal dune buggy. And um, my guy has a... Devil's Ride. Devil's Ride. I do have a sheet with all the stats right here. And basically what the Devil Ride sacrifices in offensive capabilities and defense, it makes up for in mobility. Like, you can move so much faster and do so many more movement options in a Devil's Ride than any other war machine. I have the need. The need for speed. Yeah. Um... <laughs> And so you're like, okay, I'll take your money and we'll do this thing. And they, uh, we, basically, we basically told them that between waiting for Mahadi to come back with his information and to set up the trap, it's going to take about 24 hours. And, and yeah, so when he said it would take 24 hours, then there was two hours of just doing stuff. Uh, and then they took an eight-hour long rest. And we keep forgetting to do the thing you need, are supposed to do on long rests in Avernus. You and I yeah. both keep forgetting I've that. forgotten it twice now. We're just not used to it. We're just not used to it. Yeah. Because we've never had to do it on a long rest before. And my guy... And one thing that I should clarify, when they went to go take a long rest first, they actually... The first place they went was back to Infernal Rapture. Because they saw that there was like a hotel inn type area. <laughs> my guy didn't go. He was like, and, I'm just going to uh, meditate by my bike. And yeah, because Drow and other elves don't have to actually sleep they just kind of meditate for four hours and they're good to go which um, means i don't have to risk becoming even more evil <laughs> yeah i'm um, already plenty evil so uh, they get there and mahadi's not there at the front desk there's one of his employees who's running the desk and i, I no one questioned this girl I, I mentioned that she's wearing very proper formal work attire for a waitress and she's got this almost forced grin on her face with bags under her eyes like She's smiling, but there's obviously something wrong. Dude, I'm not going to lie. I imagined her with, like... I imagined that if she would have turned around and her back would have faced them, like, her skin would have been pulled taut and, like, been uh, stapled together almost, like some kind of Cenobite or Ooh. something. 
<laughs> yeah, well, they didn't ask to find out. But she basically tells them, she says, welcome to the Infernal Rapture, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, how can I help you? And they say, yeah, we're looking for rooms. And she says, oh, perfect. If you want any of our services, I just need you to sign on this dotted line here. And they said, wait, sign what now? They're they're very cautious of contracts, which they should be. But it was literally like the same hotel contract you sign in real life. Yeah, basically, this was just saying that uh, if you employ the services or make any purchases within... Uh, infernal rapture you do not leave before you pay all your debts you know you can order as much food and you can sleep as long as you want you can get as many bath treatments as you desire so long as you pay for what you take and very simple very straightforward um they weren't even uh yeah that's that and uh, they said okay well what's it cost for a, a, a single room for a night they said one soul coin <laughs> And they're like, how much is that in gold? 10,000 gold pieces. <laughs> they're like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, soul coins are expensive. And especially since um, de- devils do not value souls as much as mortals value gold, um, it would make sense that they're super expensive. Um, and then there was a breakdown in communication. I thought Corvus was like actually wanting to try and make soul coins for currency. When in reality, he was just wanting to know where he could exchange goods and services for soul coins. Uh, and Mahadi almost laughed at him because it was like, oh, yeah, you're not going to make soul coins. It's only made in one place in hell, and the guy who does it is not into giving up his secrets. But anyway, so they, they decide, like, yeah, we're even though I've already signed the contract, we're not going to buy anything. We're just going to leave. And she's like, fair enough. No harm, no foul. Goodbye. Have a good day. They, they slept in the car. <laughs> yeah, they literally slept in the car for eight hours. So, so ten hours have passed. So yeah, that, so this is 10 hours, and they have a 24-hour deadline to meet the guy for... Uh, the trapping of the Warlord. So keep that in mind as they do more things. Um, and so they, they agree, well, and Lulu pipes up and says, you know what, we've got some time. Why don't we... Uh, we were already on the way to Haraman's Hill before we made this pit stop. Why don't we just keep going and um, go from there? And uh, so it takes them about another hour to get to Harmon's Hill. Yeah, and they were like, are you coming? And my guy was like, sure, whatever. If you're just going to go check out a hill, why not? <laughs> and so they get there, and Harmon's Hill is not a pleasant place to visit. As soon as they get there, they notice that the whole hill is lined with a forest of wrought iron trees with humanoids and other creatures uh, crucified and impaled to these trees. Um, upon further inspection, as they walk up the hill, which you parked your vehicles at the base, and this is about a three to 400 yard hike up this little incline. Um, and, uh, you notice, uh, that these, these humanoids that are impaled are wearing old, but very recognizable Hellrider armor from what you've seen with Rhea Mantlemorn. Of Jorts. And so they're like, oh, why are there a bunch of Hellriders crucified on steel and iron trees and then you get to the very not the very tippy top it's about a hundred yards from where you the party stopped to the summit and at the one of the last people they see on this hill his name is um it's like jaden or something it's a, bit, it's a bit of an ironic name for a vampire yeah but it's, he is a vampire who is also wearing Hellrider armor and he basically... Well, we don't need his name. Uh, yeah, he basically tells them, he says, I was not only one of the original Hellriders that Zariel trained and recruited, uh, because when I became a vampire, I didn't want to be one, and I vowed to kill my own kind. And when Zariel heard about this, she definitely wanted me in her army. Um, and uh, uh, we, it was me, the other Hellrider initiates, 
Um, and I'm surprised no one caught the name Haramon when I said it, because it's literally on the hill where his namesake is. I did. Uh, yeah, you knew exactly where you were. I told you that what would happen, happen, would happen, it, ha- it could happen. It was a happening. It happened. <laughs> I knew they were, um, I knew that they were too good to, to leave him there. And so what had happened was is uh, this guy, he, he, he confesses to them. He said, not only was I part of the original group, but I was literally the guy who retreated like a coward and closed the portal sealing Zariel and the other half of the Hellriders in Avernus. Like, I'm the reason Zariel's here. And uh, Lulu, she doesn't hate him because of this, but she just looks at him in pity because... She's too good for hate. She, yeah. isn't, she is pure. She literally. Pity, she pities him. And my stand and everyone else is like... This guy sucks. <laughs> We're just gonna leave him here, and then he and then he tells them. He says if they can get him down and alleviate his suffering, that he can tell them the direction in which Zariel's sword is located. And my stands like Lulu. What do you think? And he says, Well, I realize after knowing who this is that this was a mistake. Zariel's sword is not here. I don't hate him, but I do pity him. And even if he gets off the tree, he's still gonna be in hell. Where's he gonna go? So let's just help. Let's help him, and maybe he'll help us. And my son's like, "Good enough for me." And so they pull him off, and immediately, almost immediately after they pull him off the tree, because he's a vampire, he turns to dust. Like he just dies, um, and this causes a bit of a problem. Rut row raggy. <laughs> Because um, one thing that I didn't mention earlier is that all of the dead bodies of the Hell Riders that are suffering in, in, that are impaled, they're getting their blood sucked out by Sturges. And as their punishment, they can't die, but they're suffering a lot. But this vampire is unique because he normally can't die. So what the Sturges are doing is that because he's impaled, they are feeding him the blood that they are taking from the other humanoids. And, um, oh, look, I've been impaled. And so when they pull him off, this immediately causes a disturbance with all the other Sturges who are basically performing a duty here. And so they start conflict against 20 Sturges. Well, the guy, they pull him off to get the info, but then he turns to Ash. <laughs> and they're like, and they're like, darn, I should have seen this coming. I'm like, yeah, you kind of should have. Betrayal? In hell? Someone lied to you in hell? And they, they, and they did roll an insight check on him, but their insight check was not... They, this is basically what I told them. They rolled like a 13 insight, and I told them that he is telling the truth about owning up to his sins. He is telling the truth that he was the one who uh, betrayed Zariel and condemned his comrades. But you can't tell if he actually knows where the whereabouts of the sword is. And I thought that was a pretty fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, like if it would have been a 15, you probably would have just told him straight up that He's going to turn to ash when he comes up. Yeah, that's exactly what would have happened. Um, and so they're fighting these Sturges now. And Sturges are Sturges. You know, maybe if you have that many against level one or two except, characters. Except for that one time you played Rick and Morty and had to fight three of them and you almost well, died. We also rolled like four crit fails on that. So How did that even happen? Anyways, um, they, they're dispatching these... Um, Sturges rather quickly. Like, before the first round's even over with, they've got them down to half their numbers. And then the second round starts. And suddenly, you notice the Sturges scatter. And as they disperse, you're like, hey, what's going on? And uh, you notice that the reason why they're scattering is because uh, as they disperse, there's this giant fireball that's heading towards the very tippy top of the summit of Harriman's Hill. I don't know if you guys have seen Godzilla Final Wars, but Monster X's entrance, basically... <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for that. I've 
You've seen it's, Godzilla. It's been like mid since you saw it in like middle school, probably. <laughs> but I said, but there's something off about this this fireball because as it gets closer, you can hear what sounds almost like a war cry coming forth. Like there's something in it, and uh, it hits the summit. There's a big explosion about a hundred yards away from where they currently are, and there is a cavalrymen inside the fireball and it is a narzugon they've already seen one back when they were in eltruel this is basically a evil hellish paladin that works for various members of the arch fiends and my guy instantly recognizes him yeah he's like oh this is bad that guy's been here long enough like the dude lands right and we see him and my guy goes Okay, so this is when my guy starts saying things that I can't repeat on the podcast. This is the part where you run away. I, I thought that same thing when he landed. I just didn't say anything. <laughs> um, but he, when he lands, and my guy's like, I hate all of you. And so the Narzagon uh, steadies himself, and then the, the nightmare that he rides rears up on his back legs. He raises this Claymore-sized great sword above his head and he gives this big booming this short but intimidating speech about how uh the those who betrayed zariel can never leave their eternal punishment those who trespass here are condemned as well like this is a dark souls villain you're um, about to fight right now it actually at the picture i showed them it did look like a dark souls character <laughs> it even had like the the ember lines and everything the charred skin um but he says that uh, and uh, as my name is Haraman the Champion of Zariel, you shall be punished. And then he's, and then I said, he's now in part of the combat. And they're like, oh, great. And so your guy... Rolls the highest initiative. So you, of course, get first action. And you said, all right, this is bad, guys. we got to think about a way to get out of here. And you ready your action, and you, you hook up your crossbow with your shield. And it looks really cool. Yeah, I love that combo. And uh, you take a pot shot at him. And um, he has an AC of 20. Like... Unless you just... You yeah, know. I, I remember, because I knew he was going to be tough, because he's, like, even tougher than a regular... Yeah. Yeah. So, I rolled a 19, and I was like, that's not going to hit. I already know. Well, I said, no, it doesn't. I said, you take a shot, it, it, <laughs> it, then, it hits his then, helmet, and it goes, tink. Yeah, no, it didn't. It didn't. Did it hit his helmet? No. So, the way armor class works is that you can flavor it two different ways. You can. I thought it was by his helmet, because if it hit him, then I would have got the... No, well, it, the thing, the way, I, when I read the book, there's two ways you can flavor a C or a, a, a failed attack. You no, can either have I it, thought it went by his head because if you hit him, don't you get a tree? If you physically harm him, that's oh, what it okay, was. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Um, so it did take you, off. You him. have to actually deal physical damage to him in order for the, the, the effect that I'm about to explain happen. Yeah, so it tinked off him. And <laughs> I have two attacks. I didn't even bother using the second one because my guy was like, I don't want, I'm not going to be here. I don't want to be here. <laughs> um, and yeah, your character immediately is like, okay, that didn't work. I'm out of here. No, I didn't. I didn't run yet. No, I but you were you were getting ready to. Yeah. So then next, I think it was it was Corvus, right? Yes. And so Corvus, uh, my laptop just died. Um, Corvus, <laughs> Corvus says, fine. Corvus says, all right, if we all band together, we can take him. And he says, double Eldritch Blast, like a Power Ranger character. Um, not really. Uh, we make fun of More Connor. like an anime character. We make fun of Connor all the time, but he's not as His Eldritch Blast is beefed up. It, it kicks butt. He's the... I, even when, when that guy came out, I was like, Corvus is going to be the only one that's able to hit him. I said that out loud. I was like, guys, Corvus is the only one that's going to be able to hit this guy. And he did. He rolled, he met, he failed one, but the second one, he, he, he actually said I rolled like a 26 on attack. And I'm like, okay, that hits him. I think Here's, it was like a 23. I don't know. It was, tw- it was over 20. 
And uh, I said, okay, great. Here's what happens. Um, all of a sudden, after... Because uh, normally, uh, when you get hit with his Eldritch Blast, it has a 10-foot knockback. But this does not have enough force to actually knock him back 10 feet. Because he's in a full charge. Plus he's, like, strapped into his horse and everything. But it is enough to kind of stagger the horse a little bit and tick him off. And as you do this, this wrought iron tree shoots out of the ground. And I said, right next to you, Corvus, you notice on the tree that it has your name written on it. Assaulting an officer. Uh, and it says, assaulting an officer. Like, here's a bullet with your name on it. <laughs> and he literally, he had to make a wisdom saving throw because you either succeed and you're like, okay, this is bad, but I can take this. Uh, or you just immediately become scared and you run away. <laughs> this dude... Rolled a nat one. He rolls a nat one. And um, he's lucky he had a fate point. Fate points are kind of like a homebrew inspiration that we have. We use it instead of normal inspiration. Where basically for for a single dice roll, you can re-roll any dice you want. It can be a damage dice. Like if you do damage and you only hit a one, you can re-roll a d20 for a skill check. You can even re-roll a boss's roll if they do a ton of damage to see if they'll like... Really? I didn't know. Isn't uh, that what Kami and Karen do? I've never see, had anyone use it for anything other than themselves. Okay, I, didn't, well, I didn't think you could... I may, I may no, have no, just no, made no. an it's, assumption. It's for, it's for personal rolls. Okay, I might you have just made You can't make a boss re-roll. No. Alright, so too much um, my mistake. But... Um, that did save him because had he a nat failed, one on that, with that wisdom saving throw, he would have been immediately impaled as the tree came up, and it may not have killed his character, but would have basically put him in a situation where he couldn't move until he made a series of saving throws, and Haruman was gonna have him for easy pickings. Um, yeah, if he didn't do that reroll, that probably would have been the end of Corvus. I would have left him. <laughs> and then, I don't blame you. I would and, have left him. And then my stance turn rolls around, and he's like, okay, we got to get out of here. Lulu, what are you doing? And then he turns around to Lulu, and there's a giant <laughs> wasp creature that she's fighting with. And she's like, help! Help, this thing's after me! Help! Oh my God. And my stance's like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> We got the right hand of Zario coming at us from one side, and on the opposite side is a giant demon wasp thing trying to take the our most important NPC in the whole campaign. Uh, and and the thing is that uh, Lulu can actually avoid getting taken, and the players can also prevent it from happening. But Lulu did not succeed on her com- competition checks because she's literally struggling midair to get this thing off of her, and they're twenty five feet in the air, kind of out of the reach of the players. Um, and you don't really have a lot of time to react to it because you have a literal, not just a Narzugan, the Narzugan coming after you. Uh, which, by the way, his movement without a dash is 60, so he can like close the gap in like two turns if you don't act quickly. Um, and so the, the party just says, we gotta go, move it. And Corvus... Yeah, what happens is once it gets back to my turn on initiative... My guy turns to Corvus, because Corvus is the one that paid him, so he, he's not going to leave unless Corvus says it's okay. And he's like, are we getting out of here? And Corvus goes, that's the plan. So my guy's like, cool. And he just gets out of there, dash action, right to his motorcycle. <laughs> and um, and so that's that was his action. Then Corvus's action, he used to cash a spell that was recently added. Uh, he used, a, it was a hypnosis spell. And he says, I, I want to cast it at Haruman. 
And when he when I do so, he has to make a saving throw, which he missed by one point. Yeah, he because he rolled for it on advantage, and it was two fourteen. Yeah, my, yeah. Uh, Narzugans have magical resistance, which means any spell that's ma- any magical spell that affects them in any way, they immediately get advantage to resist. And he rolled two fourteens. The saving throw was a sixteen, or no, no, it was a fifteen. Um, very very close. Uh, but basically, what this hypnosis spell was that it stuns. Whoever you cast it on for a minute. That is basically 10 turns. And um, everybody except my stand was going back to the vehicles. And my stand's like, I want to try and go after the bug. And I'm like, okay, that bug has a flying speed of 60 and it's now 30 feet above your head. And he's like, like, well, crap, I can't I catch it. Go to the Infernal War Machine. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're now in their Infernal War Machine by the time Haruman comes to his senses. And uh, they're like, go, 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 go. And because he's like, fools, get back here. Yeah, and they, we're, we're driving away. And, and so my character pulls up next to him on his bike and he makes this hand signal. And I'm trying to say, like, let's split up because he can't follow both of us. And then Corvus rolls insight to see what I mean. And he rolls a nat one again. He says he, he wants us to stay together. <laughs> and then and my stand was like, no way, I'm following Lulu. I'm not going to stick with him, Some which worked out. So my guys kind of went opposite of them, but kind of stayed within viewing visible distance. Yeah, and Harmon kind of stopped chasing them once they kind of got far enough away from Harmon's Hill, because he does have kind of a jurisdiction. Uh, he was mainly there just to make sure that none of the people being punished were freed. Um, I mean, they're still on his crap list, but um, once they get a certain... Once they get far enough away, he's not as much of their concern. Um, and then we had to jump over the river sticks, which we did pretty easily. Yeah, the dune, but the the tormentor and the devil's ride are probably the two best vehicles to do stunts like that, uh, because once you get into things bigger than that, you sacrifice speed for power and armor, and there's no way that you could have um, jumped over that with uh, like ragged dragons um, yeah. in front of war machine. But you guys get over there like a duke boy, duke boy, and uh, you follow the. They, they learned later that it's a hell wasp that took Lulu, and uh, it flew it back to its nest. And this nest is really gross looking. It looks like a standard wasp nest, like with the, the, the chewed up paper pulp. Oh, but here's the real thing, right? When we get to the nest, they get there first, and then they see my guy coming, and they're like, he's not slowing down. <laughs> and so I like like slide my bike up to them, so like a bunch of stuff gets kicked up on him, and I hop off of it, and I go up to Corvus, grab him by the collar, and pull him up, and I'm like, what did you get me into? You paid me to help you fight off a warlord, and we just had to fight the right hand of Zariel. That was Haruman. The Haruman. I was like, do you know who that is? That's Zariel's equivalent of the Abishai you're looking for. Because we've kind of made the Abishai the right hand, as we mentioned. Yeah. And and I, this is what Corvus says. This isn't even a joke. He, he And my guy's like... Holding up by the scruff of his collar. And he's like... Zariel is gonna try to kill me. This you've ruined my life, and I live in hell. <laughs> and then Corvus just goes, "Welcome to the party." <laughs> like, because Corvus knows that he has to stay with them now. Because if he leaves, Zariel's gonna have him picked off. So he has to stay. <laughs> Which was a good story reason for him to not ask them for money all the time. Yeah, it's definitely better than uh, in Karen's campaign where I was nearly ostracized for starting a war. You should have been. 
You should have had the roll up in your character. But it doesn't matter now. But, oh. but yeah, and uh, so that's kind of where we ended it for today with them at the Hell Wasp nest. Oh, there was. And a, my guy super angry. There was one more thing, though. The Hell Wasps love to eat celestial creatures. Of course. In, in their hive, there are angels that are stuck in the paper paste. They're trying to get themselves free, and your character rolled a nature check to to give a little bit more insight. And he said that uh, they he said he said what is that thing that just got oh, taken? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Because th- they asked me because my guy has a lot of hell information. So I rolled a nat twenty on nature, and I was like, "Those are hell wasps." And I like gave him textbook stuff for hell wasps, and he was like, "They eat celestials. What is that thing that's following you guys around? And they were like, just casually like, oh, that's a divine being. And my guy was like, what have you done to me? You, I what have you gotten me into? (laughs) This guy literally paid for the worst day ever. And all he got was 161 pieces of silver. 161 pieces of silver and 25 pieces of gold. And now he has to fight Zariel at some point. So, <laughs> what is happening to his You got life? me teaming up with the elephant equivalent of an angel, and now you got the archfiend of the first level of hell on my case. Thank you. I want to die. My guy just marched away, and he was just like cursing in Elvish. He was like, he was like, I'm done. I'm done. Ooh. <laughs> Let's kill those wasps and get that thing and get out of here. <laughs> uh, and we did cut a little bit short. Uh, we did start a little bit earlier, so that was totally fine. And like you said, this is where we ended the session for today. It was a good spot to end anyways. It was. Even though someone had to go, but it was a great spot to end anyhow, so it didn't matter. The one thing... Oh, we've also forgot to mention one thing that was retcon. There was a situation where before they went to Harmon's Hill, my stand prayed to Bahamut, and I botched that dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, we... we... I, so, feel, I know this happened earlier in the, the podcast, but I feel like I should bring it up just to be fair. Um, and basically what wound up happening is Bahamut wound up explaining way too much and it took way too long. So and we actually ended up having to change Bahamut's uh, original answer yeah, to the prayer. Not only that, we had to change what he wanted for this side quest. Like, completely change what he wanted specifically to avoid metagaming. Uh... And also, it's from now on, we're doing percentiles to contact your god if you have an ability to contact your god because they might be busy doing god stuff, talking to another follower, etc., etc. Uh, and if they do answer, they're going to be cryptic because even in modern real-world religion, uh, gods are cryptic. So when, when, you atta- when you contact a good god, they're going to be cryptic because they don't want you to be good because they told you to. They want you to find the goodness yourself or something idealistic and then if you're talking to an evil god that god is going to be manipulating you just straight up so also not being a hundred percent forthright uh so yeah yeah, we're gonna change how we do gods a bit Mm -hmm. but that's it for me at least yeah that is it for today's episode of our descent into avernus recap it was uh and we got drizzik grand uh he's a grand old time (laughs) Yeah, Drizzik is gonna be very upset the rest of this campaign. <laughs> he might actually have to find a way to leave hell. If, yeah, if he's still alive and they get out at the end, he's gonna be like, take me with you. Please. Please. <laughs>
you guys can't leave me here, man. The, the, he'll get me. <laughs> uh, even though there's no tree for him there, still, he's not... <laughs> Haruman saw their faces. He, he has to make a report. <laughs> yeah, so not great. But, you know, good story reason for him to stick around. Mm-hmm. <sighs> No, I thought this would be longer than it was. It's actually only an hour 30. That's perfect. Oh, perfect. I thought we were hitting the two-hour mark. Yeah, I did too. Uh, so that's it. Thank you all very much for your support. Remember to rate, comment, subscribe. Check out all the cool links in the description below, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Uh, I don't know what next time's episode will be. I don't know if it'll be something different. I don't know if it'll be more Descent into Avernus. We'll just have to see. So that's it. Thank you all once again for your support, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>